0: I found every point of separation to get to you a greater love, the only one, the joy of my salvation and all.
1: thank
0: jesus christ by the blood from his hands and his feet and by the blood that he shed for me yes by the blood from his hands and his feet and by the blood that he shed for me i am jesus nothing worldly no cause of man can make us sing it's for the glory of our great Savior that the guitars and trumpets ring now I'm redeemed thank Redeem. Thank Jesus Christ by the blood from his hands. redeemed Thank God I'm redeemed Yes I'm redeemed Thank Jesus Christ by the blood from his hands and his feet and by the blood that he shed for me and by the blood from his hands in his feet and by the blood that he shed
2: Hope it is so good to be with you this morning. Uh, we have something different for you today, and just in light of everything that's been going on, the amount of emails that I've gotten, and the amount of conversations that that we've been having around uh, the protests, around race, around the gospel, around how should we as Christians engage in these conversations, I thought it would be good and to just have a conversation with a really dear friend of mine, uh, Ashley Bell. She is the pastor of Outreach at Cedar Mill Bible. She's on the evangelism team uh, with me and she is just a great resource and a good friend. And and I wanted to model for us as a church what a conversation looks like uh, that is built upon a relationship around Jesus and you know I think it's important for you to hear this conversation uh, because it shows us how we can enter into dialogue even when there may be varying opinions or views maybe we're not as informed as we want to be in a conversation but how we can actually humble ourselves uh, before God and before one another and to recognize uh, that we have much to learn from one another, uh, and that we can have conversations and even have differing opinions without it turning toward attacks or accusations or or being dismissive. uh, Because the responsibility that we have right now in this particular moment is not to put our heads in the sand, uh, and try to pretend that it doesn't exist. Uh, it's, it's not we just need to lay low until all this passes over. Uh, that's not the right response. Uh, at the same time, we don't need to get trapped in, uh, in the current wave of, of guilt and rage, uh, that is, uh, driving so many conversations and even how, uh, hostile believers are against one another in social media right now. Uh, And so I just want to share with you this verse before we go to the conversation. And I think that this uh, is an important verse for us to be thinking about. And this comes from James chapter one. And it says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I think that the important thing for us as Christians when we meditate upon a verse like this is to ask the question, how should I enter in to this conversation? How can I focus in on the fact that as a reconciled child of God, that I'm to be an ambassador of reconciliation, which means that I am to move toward my brother, my sister, whoever they are, which is whoever is in front of you at any given moment. How do I move toward them in humility and opening my heart and my mind up uh, to what it is they have to say? Even if I disagree, how do I love them well it's when we become doers of the word which is conduits of love that we begin to see transformation and so i just encourage you as you listen to this conversation it's not a traditional sermon this is a conversation between two believers who are friends and we are just trying to understand how it is that we can grow in this particular moment in time and so i hope that it it creates great conversation. I pray that if you have a different view than what Ashley shares or than what I share, that you would uh, not be dismissive, but hear out the conversation and then just pray that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. Our heart is to maintain our center and the center is to be focused in upon Jesus and his gospel. And Jesus is one who is for the oppressed, he is for the hurting. He is the one for the many and the many and the one. Remember friends on your worst day, Jesus is crazy about you. May you receive that love so that you can be a conduit of that love in these dark days. I love you guys. Well, uh, I'm excited to have Ashley Bell uh, here. Uh, with me today. Ashley is the pastor of Outreach at Cedar Mill Bible, also part of the teaching team. Mm -hmm. And she's uh, also on the evangelism uh, team uh, that the Palau's have organized with me. So Ashley, thank you for being here. Thanks for having
1: me. I'm excited.
2: So I just wanted to invite you, obviously with all that's happening Mm -hmm. uh, in the world right now, I thought it would be really important uh, to hear from a voice that I trust, uh, that, that is a voice that comes from, from a friend of color. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your perspective on kind of we, how we as Christians, especially being a woman who's a pastor, who cares deeply about evangelism, who cares deeply about justice and outreach. How do we as a church, uh, how do we effectively engage and not become frozen Mm -hmm. by the, Copious amounts of information I yeah. we're hearing right now. Yeah. So I'd love to just start by hearing a little bit about your story because you didn't grow up in Portland.
1: No, no. Yeah. I, I am a transplant um, from Virginia to Portland. A lot of people here are transplants. Um, but yeah, I've been in Portland now for uh five years consistently, actually eight years consistently since 2012, but I originally came here in 2007 um, for seminary at Multnomah, was here for three years, moved away in 2010, came back in 2012 been here since 2012 and, and love this city greatly. Mm. Um, and having not been from Portland, you know, I, I grew up in the South, one of the original 13 Confederate states. Mm. Um, I grew up in... So with, Southern Virginia. Southern Virginia, okay. yeah. The, the southern tip of Virginia. Which Um, does
2: feel more like the South. Yes. I've been there. I mean, it it (laughs)
1: is for sure the South. Yeah. Yeah. If you would go there, they would definitely say this is the South.
2: Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Like what, what was that like? Like what was your upbringing like in a place like
1: that? Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. I grew up in a small town and so definitely had that small town feel where, you know, you go to the grocery store and you see a lot of people, you know, um, and so was grateful for the small town upbringing However, with that, growing up in a small southern town, there was racism and, and blatant racism. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember the, the first time um, I was called the N-word was in third grade. Um, and a little boy came up to me and said, you know, why do, why do people call uh, you all the N-word? Um, he said the word, actually. And, and, and at that point, that was my first experience with Whoa. real life. Right racism at Mm -hmm. a young age and and it broke my heart Mm -hmm. because that was, um, that was one of those moments that's kind of defining where you're like, whoa, I'm, I'm different Mm -hmm. and not the good kind of different, Mm -hmm. you know, and my parents, um, always told me that, you know, actually you will experience, Racism, you know, uh, black parents are having these conversations with with their black sons and daughters till this day, mm-hmm. um, because of just the racism that exists. Is you will experience racism. People will not like you simply by the way that you look. You'll have to work harder to get where you are because of your color and your gender. Um, and so that was the first moment in third grade that that became my reality. And since then, you know, it just kind of I was aware. Of it, and people were aware of it, and I experienced being called names in junior high. I remember mm. threatening to um, beat up people. I've never been in a fight in my life, but but you know, you I've know. only been in one. Really? Yeah. See, okay, I was see. pretty bullied. There we <laughs> well, see, and, and that's the thing: bullying is real, and kids are can be terrible, yeah. and and so in junior high, I remember there were kids that used to call me and my friends the N word all the time mm-hmm. and, um uh, we would threaten and i would threaten to beat them up you know and just just fighting for some sense of dignity like why why do you see me this way in mm-hmm. high school that stuff continued you know i remember a friend getting in a fight because someone told her to get back on the boat um and yeah. uh, just just some of those statements, and then going on, you know, when you enter college, you know, people making assumptions about you because you're black. Oh, you must be on the basketball team, or you must you must do that. None of that was true of mm-hmm. me. Um, and then even here, when I moved here, um, you know, there are little things like microaggressions where it's not. It's not blatant racism, it's not I hate you because you're black, but Mm -hmm. these little things that just remind you that "Mm, your place isn't here. It's kind of feeding off stereotypical beliefs. But two years ago, I was with my friend Nicole and we were getting pie um, outside of Loretta Jeans, enjoying a nice spring day right off of Division. And as we were leaving, someone drives down the road and says, go home. Um, and we're thinking, are they talking to us? Right. Like, and they definitely work because we were the only two people on the street, right. black women oh. on the street. Hmm. And so there's just been so much of experiencing racism. So we, we go from, you know, there's, there's little ways to experience it where there's little things that people say and then there's the big, like abrasive out front nasty racism mm-hmm. um, which is, is around a lot in in Virginia and still in some of our southern states where Confederate flags fly high mm-hmm. and then you do have it here in Oregon and some of it is blatant and a lot of it is um, underneath the surface yeah
2: I grew up in a really small logging town that mm-hmm. has a long history of just a lot of racism mm-hmm. uh, in Longview, Kelso, and yeah. and I growing up in poverty, you know, I I, lived, I remember living in low income apartments, and my first exposure to really blatant racism was actually in third grade as mm. well, and it was a young black family that had moved in, and there were essentially some white supremacists that lived mm. across the way, and had pit bulls, and and they let their pit bull attack the seven year old oh black boy, and the father stopped the dog from from further attacking his son and, and hit it with a with a golf club. Wow. And then they were raging against this black family threatening to kill them. And I remember us in the apartment complex just being overwhelmed and the police came, but they didn't do anything. And mm. the black family moved away the next week. Mm. And it's just like, I was kind of racking, my, as we ventured into this era, I've been racking my brain of things you know, I can say that I understand what it's like to be picked on for being different. Mm-hmm. Being a kid who liked to dance and sing,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: growing up in a redneck town is not mm-hmm. a. You know, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna win. Right. I mean, I did win my sixth grade talent show Breakdancing. but yeah. I, but, well, yeah. but, but that's completely different from just being literally judged based upon the color yeah. of your skin. Yeah. And I think I actually would love to hear it because I, yeah. I think that this is something that, um, that. I, I've been really spending a lot of time just trying to read as much and specifically voices of color. Like yeah. that's been really important to me. I mean, from literature to mm-hmm. just people within the church that are writing and thinking right now, mm-hmm. like Esau Macaulay, mm-hmm. different various voices that really kind of try to give me as broad a perspective, conversations yeah. with you, yeah. my dear friend Craig Paula in New York, people within the church yeah. uh, to, to try to understand. And one of the things that's come up a few times is it's not just... That one of the subtle ways that this plays out, mm. uh, I was reading an article by a young, uh, young black man who's a worship leader mm-hmm. in a predominantly white church, mm-hmm. and how he said they love having me as a black man on their staff, but they don't want me to act black.
1: Yes, uh, yeah.
2: that that there's biases, cultural biases yeah. that go along with. Uh, with the these these subtle ways where yeah. you know, and he used examples of like, hey, we love that song, but can you not sing it so? Yeah. You know, they don't say so black, but can you yeah. not sing it so soulful and yeah. like just? But
1: that's what is meant. Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> yeah.
2: and then there's that. And obviously, even right now, I mean, social media is running this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we need to hear from more black voices. Mm-hmm. But the moment as a white pastor of a predominantly white church has someone of color on a podcast like this and you're like, is this tokenism? Is this, and I just think, man, we have to realign ourselves on the, on the gospel. And one of the things I love about revelation is it says every tongue from every tribe will be worshiping around the throne that we are one in Christ, but the distinctions, the beautiful cultural distinctions actually stay intact, that this is what God intended, that he made us different. Um, and those differences are to be celebrated in context of relationship Absolutely. have you experienced that kind of like sort of subtle undertones of like, of, I don't have an issue with the color of your skin, but there's, but there's biases, the cultural biases. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I've, I've fought against, um, being in predominantly white spaces because I've, I've only worked in predominantly white spaces. Mm-hmm. Um and so one of the things that I constantly fight against is the eradication of of my identity mm-hmm. as as a black woman mm-hmm. because it's kind of like what you were saying you're you're welcomed in people want you but they want you to tone it down. Mm-hmm. They actually what they're saying is I want you here for your skin tone. But I actually want you to be just like me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't see color, you know, and there's damage that's done because God, God created us intentionally. He created you, Josh white man intentionally. He created me, Ashley, black female Mm -hmm. intentionally. Mm -hmm. And when we're able to bring our whole selves into a space, that brings glory to God. Mm-hmm. it brings something to the body that you can't do alone and by yourself, and that I can't do alone and by myself. Mm-hmm. and so we need each other to actually be a fuller representation of of god's body right. and and we don't have to worry about tokenism. When we're seeking after relationship right and yeah. and that's key, and that's something that i that I think the the white community missteps on mm-hmm. um and part of it is just not knowing how to cultivate relationships, which is an essential piece, the essential piece yeah. to the gospel relationship with God, relationship with one another yeah. is It's tokenism when you invite me in and you don't ever intend to have a relationship with me. Yeah. I'm just fulfilling your agenda. I'm I'm meeting your goal. Right. And what's different about this is is that we're in a relationship. Mm -hmm. When we get done filming this, we're still going to be in a relationship with one another.
2: So much so that we can even admit... That I tried to hire you several yes, years ago. Yes, that is true. <laughs> and I said no.
3: And I and said no. it y- y- yeah. was a mistake. But yes, yes, yes you. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: But yes, it's that that relational relational piece, yeah. which I I feel, and, and you and I were talking about this the other day. There's such a spiritual component to mm-hmm. this, right? Oh, of course. The so enemy not. is working hardcore to sever relationship, sever relationship with with God and Mm -hmm. sever our relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. And that is how he's going to thrive. He's going to thrive during this time Mm -hmm. because he wants us to focus on our agendas and um, responding to this cultural moment and not continuing on through relationship in a way that really dismantles systematic injustice and racism. Right.
2: Yeah. So I was uh, thinking about this in, in connection with the city that we live in mm-hmm. and the progressiveness of our city and the whiteness of our city. Mm-hmm. And in regards to relationship, I mean, this is, the, uh, this is the challenge because, I mean, I don't know about you, you're, you're a pastor, I'm a pastor. As a lead pastor of a church, I mean, everyone wants to know what I'm gonna do, yeah. and and everyone has opinions about what that should be, yep. and, and it is, it's hard, because you want, you know, we're, we're called to not, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, mm-hmm. not the fear of man, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, at the same time, I wanna be sensitive and humble to yep. listen to the voices that, you know, where are their critiques that there needed to be, and one of the things I talked about a couple weeks ago was mm-hmm. just uh, my natural leaning toward evangelism, mm-hmm. and, You know, I truly do believe that the best way to bring reconciliation to a world is to actually see the reconciling work of the gospel Mm -hmm. infiltrating lives. But I've leaned so far into that Mm -hmm. that there's often been silence around uh, issues of social justice. Mm -hmm. Just because I saw churches. Um, push into that as a way of avoiding actually preaching the gospel right. and that and so it's those pendulum swings right. and there needs to be balance and I right. and I really have come to this strong belief that the gospel needs to impact every arena uh in in human existence Absolutely. but I, but I think that you just hit on a central part that I think is unique like I like I love that I have friendships mm-hmm. like with you my dear friend Craig in New York yeah. like, and their real friends Liz Weiss, yeah. who I've had the joy of writing records with and still stay mm-hmm. in regular contact mm-hmm. with They are real friendships mm-hmm. like been <laughs> and that is how you have the hard, awkward Absolutely. conversations uh, and I mean obviously you you know, you can't tell people they're run out like you know we're not running a new mission, you know, go out and make a black friend today. Like, yes. like no,
1: that would be wrong. You would <laughs> yeah. not make any black friends yeah. if you did that. That
2: shouldn't be a t-shirt. <laughs> no, <laughs> that don't, shouldn't don't be, do that. It shouldn't be a movie. Don't do that. But okay. where there is relationship where there, or, right. or where there maybe is the beginnings of one, that's right. the, like, how are we approaching with gentleness? And I'm trying to do a better job of connecting with churches that are predominantly black where I do have some relationship with pastors but I haven't pushed into those relationships and at the same time I'm curious what your advice would be because I'm trying to figure out that balance of like is this the moment when I reach out to my friends like Mark Strong or Mm -hmm. are they already being bombarded by a million people Mm -hmm. saying tell us what to do yeah and like what is the balance there like how should we engage in a way that it's not I, I, I call it the white pastor scramble Yeah. <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah, right um, but And I think that that's good. Protests come. We yeah. are Protestants. Yeah. The name comes from protests. Yeah. We, protests come to bring awareness, too. So yeah. we shouldn't feel bad that we all of a sudden are saying, well, we, we've maybe missed the boat on this conversation. Yeah. We haven't engaged here. And But there can be an overreaction. Yeah. But there can also be a, it's too much. I'm just going to wait for it to go away. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so what what is the how should we be approaching you know african american communities yeah. of faith what how can we we, we try to support financially at the yeah. beginning of quarantine yeah. churches that were hit hard especially in black communities uh, but what are, what are some ways yeah. uh, as, as a, in your are pastor of outreach. So yeah. how, how, what, what is your recommendation for yeah. engaging in this?
1: Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> we sure. can, yeah, we can spend a lot of time addressing that, but I think one of the things and kind of goes back to kind of what we were speaking about with, with tokenism, if, if the intent is to, to in, engage just to kind of, quote-unquote, support and not enter into a relationship, um, I think I would say maybe take a step back mm-hmm. um, and and ask prayerfully, mm. why am I actually engaging? Right. Um, because that, that comes across as if, oh, I have something to offer you and you need me. When really... Um, what we're asking for, what a lot of the black community is asking for, is solidarity and commitment. I want you to be committed to me. I want you to be committed to eradicating racism. I want you to be committed to speaking out on my behalf mm-hmm. like you never have before. Right. And and black pastors in the city, as well as with a lot of our cities right now, they are being bombarded right. and being asked to to speak into and do things. And with that comes a certain level of, of risk right. of just re-traumatizing, you know, mm-hmm. yourself of reliving hard times and hard, mo- hard moments. So I would say, uh, first thing is for white pastors in the white community to really, and, and this sounds super cliche and very anecdotal of prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. How, sh- how should I reach out and what should I do? Mm-hmm. And then while at the same time, educating yourself on some of the real issues in your community mm-hmm. um, and not going in to be the superhero or the white savior, but yeah. really asking people, what what do you need mm-hmm. and how can I... Use my platform to get you the resources and trust you to steward them well. Because Mm -hmm. there are black churches and black community centers doing the work in their community. And they've been doing it for years Mm -hmm. um, with limited resources. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of times where it's like, "Hmm, we don't actually need some of the things that you think that we need. So asking the question, what what do you need? Mm -hmm. And being in relationship for the long haul and not going in and thinking that you, you as, not you, Josh White, but particularly the white church, Mm -hmm. thinking that they have some great manifesto to deliver or something that's right. going to change and ratify um, what's happening mm-hmm. when people are already doing this work for a long time. Yeah. And, and not being tokenistic in your thinking, but really, I mean, I cannot stress enough developing relationship yeah. and developing relationship through listening. Mm-hmm. Um, listening not to argue or kind of tell people, you know, your experience isn't valid. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why I have this stat Fox News told me this yeah. or you know yeah. I got this off of CNN and, yeah. and this is why you're wrong yeah. but really listening to hear people's story mm-hmm. and to sit in the pain with someone else. Yeah. yeah. I,
2: th- I think that that actually brings me to a question that I told you I wanted to mm-hmm. talk about which is in regards to how should Christians yeah. uh, engage in this particular moment mm-hmm. because as you know they're, the protests are an example yeah. and you know the. Uh, I was reading that a really awesome interview with Ed Stetzer and Esau Macaulay and talking about you know Christians by nature by the very you know adhering to the ethics of mm-hmm. the kingdom of Jesus mm-hmm. are Against rioting. It doesn't even need to be stated that that's mm-hmm. like counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But he's like, but if your focus is on the riots, yeah. law and order as the focus, yeah. um, but you haven't even engaged into the listening of what is it, what is at the heart of yes. the, the pro, what is the majority of peaceful yeah. protesting? Yeah. Uh, if you're not listening to the heart of what's being spoken, then you can lose sight of it. But on a, on an even more complicated level for Christians is that yeah, there's the, the looting and the rioting, and that has multiple facets, and there's a yeah, million does, opinions about even who's doing it. it does, so. um, and you, then you are struck with also agendas within the protests that yeah. that actually fight against some of the key beliefs as mm-hmm. Christians. We we don't believe violence is mm-hmm. the answer, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, and, you know, we're not comfortable going out and yelling F the police or mm-hmm. abolish the police. Mm-hmm. So how do you engage when there are so many agendas? One of the things mm-hmm. I point out of the Black Lives Matter movement that is unique to the civil rights movement is the civil rights movement was primarily um, led by mm-hmm. Christian leaders from the black community. Mm-hmm. And so there was already a sort of a, like, what is Jesus's approach? I mean, mm-hmm. that was Martin Luther's Kings, mm-hmm. the passive resistance, and there was decorum in mm-hmm. in public interaction. Mm-hmm. Not that it didn't get unruly at times, mm-hmm. but uh, but there was also a we have to learn how to love our enemies, and that isn't the voice of of the culture. So it, mm-hmm. it just has it happens to be that you have this movement against racism, you have a quarantine, mm-hmm. and you have a culture uh, right now mm-hmm. that is. Uh, that is individualistic and uh, and is often moving against mm-hmm. uh, everything that we believe as Christians. Right. And so right. how do you sort it? Like, do you just throw out the protests? Right. And say, No. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> yes. that, and that's, yes. so that's the, that's the question of like, yeah. how do we, because I, I, that's what I'm, one of the things that really saddens my heart is to see how much hostility there is within the Christian community.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, I, Josh Garrels, mm-hmm. a dear friend of mine posted on his Instagram Black Lives Matters. And I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That it was like his Instagram was like sabotaged by like a raging argument yeah. between his fan base over the appropriateness yeah. or and, and or the inappropriateness of using that and it was just like this battle. Yeah. And I just and he came on and I just I just appreciate it. he's like I was just saying at the most basic level that I hear my brothers and sisters of color and, and I stand with you at Mm -hmm. this time. I wasn't making a blanket statement that I agree with the entire Black Lives Matters mission statement or, you know, and it was like, but just the fact that it was like the quickness to jump on an attack, I think is one of the things that saddens me among, among Christians of like. We want to be. we so want to be so clear about what we're against yeah. that we don't even know what we're for.
1: Yeah, Abs- <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. And and I. Think that was my there, diatribe. Yeah, by that way. Was, I, I, heard it. <laughs> I heard it, and I, I I liked it. And and I think this this particular. I mean, we could have several conversations on on this this alone, but I think it's part of what's lacking in in the Christian community. Not all of them. But there is, there is a lack of education mm-hmm. of, of what's going on culturally. There, mm-hmm. There's a lack of, of self-awareness and social awareness because we we don't like to get involved in culture because we're so fearful that the culture might end up shaping us mm-hmm. that we can't actually use the holy spirit in us and the gospel to actually shape and reform the culture mm-hmm. and so that that's one of those issues and and I bring that up because there are with black lives matter there's always extremes to every group, mm-hmm. right? There's there's extremes to every group, but but originally that group and its founders were not creating a, a violent group mm-hmm. at all. Um, what they wanted to do was was bring awareness and bring change, mm-hmm. realistic change. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the group that runs differently than a Martin Luther King civil rights movement. There was a lot of people involved in mm-hmm. the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King was just the best. Orator yeah. that got put up front, yeah, but there was there was this centralized yeah, leadership, leaders. yeah. right? And in the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it doesn't necessarily centralize around one person, mm-hmm. one, one leadership. Yeah, it's it's more fluid. But the the call of of that is is not necessarily to be extremist in in thinking. I think there is a moral compass. Mm-hmm. that drives them, and I don't think it's it's a compass that seeks to destroy or dehumanize. Mm-hmm. I do actually think that, that the group wants and desires to bring justice and justice for all people. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who are, are protesting are not, as you said, are not being violent when it comes to this issue because violence doesn't get you anywhere it's one of the reasons why in Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail you -hmm. know he was so persistent about being non-violent this is why I respond in the way that I respond Um, and this is how I go about responding he had these four elements of you know getting ready to be a part of of the movement because Mm -hmm. he says in that letter you know if you're not able to keep your cool he doesn't use the word cool but I'm going to use the word cool if you're not able to keep your cool When someone is beating you or verbally assaulting you, Mm -hmm. then you can't be a part of this movement because that is what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to be nonviolent at any cost. And I actually can't imagine that. I can't imagine somebody threatening me or hitting me or verbally assaulting me and not wanting to punch somebody. In
2: the face, he and he he was very intentional. I mean, even watching Selma so actually did a great mm-hmm. job of showing. If you haven't seen that film, it's should, a great movie. Yeah. Um, it, showing how he very purposefully utilized very public spaces Absolutely. to the way to to reveal the violence that 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 black americans yeah. were experiencing in that time was that they had to not respond yeah. so that that the world could see yeah. what was actually yeah. happening yeah. and it, it, yeah. but it took a tremendous amount of courage and he also had a lot to say about hatred not being the drive if if Absolutely. hatred was the driver yeah. Yeah. then we would never get anywhere yeah. because yeah. he he yeah. believed that we have to you have to channel yeah. the ang- the righteous indignation yeah. at injustice um, does not change the responsibility to love yeah. the love your enemy absolutely and uh, and I, and that's a that is complicated in this yeah. this moment. It's
1: very complicated and and bitterness and hatred, as you said, it, it does not lead to fruitful change. I mm. mean, it can't because what that does it prevents relationship yeah. right and and everything has to be done through relationship. One of the things, the four steps that that Dr. King practiced to get ready for for protesting in this movement was self-purification. Mm-hmm. You know, really just focusing in on why am I doing this, seeking the Lord with with prayer, getting yourself ready to endure for the long haul, what's what's ahead, and and that's something when whenever we're looking to make change, we really do have to enter this process of really making sure we're we're mentally and physically centered as Christians on why we're actually doing it mm-hmm. is it's for the glory of the kingdom it's so that i can love god with all my heart right. and love my neighbor as myself and our neighbors are everyone right yeah. Yeah. our neighbors are everyone and so as christians we have to think that way, or we will will lose our focus and mm-hmm. start dabbling into these extremes that aren't necessarily of the Lord at all.
2: Yeah. So that 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 leads me to the the next question, which mm-hmm. is, if the responsibility, the central responsibility of the Christian, is to be witnesses to the ends of the world. We both have an evangelistic yeah. heart. We yeah. we we believe in that the centrality of the cross and keeping Jesus at the center. And, and this is a big moment where we're talking oh. about, uh, about trying to eradicate a, 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 a national history of oppression and racism.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we also recognize the, the role that, that sin plays
1: Absolutely. In
2: human behavior Mm -hmm. uh, that we as Christians should have a a very low anthropology, (laughs) which is we are far worse than we ever can imagine. But we're also more loved than we could ever imagine. So not being engaged, actually, to me, it fights against the call to be witnesses. But how do we bring... The, how do we not lose our center in the gospel in this mm. moment? How should the gospel inform our engagement? And what? in what? How do we maintain that that moving toward this this great truth that truly sets people free, which is on your worst Actually. day, Jesus loves you.
3: Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, what
2: what's your thoughts yeah. on that? Because I think that's where yeah. that's where the kind of rubber meets the road, and why people kind of push against, uh, you know, Esau McCauley talked about why does, why has the African-American church generally moved Mm -hmm. toward social justice Mm -hmm. as a big emphasis? Mm -hmm. Uh, And he said it's because African-Americans have a different history Mm -hmm. than white Americans. Mm -hmm. Uh, That we didn't come to the nation for, they didn't, that black Americans did not come to the nation for religious freedom. They came against their freedom as slaves. And so, that that can't be erased, yeah. and it informs very much how the church interacts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, how do we balance social justice and the gospel of grace? Yeah. So absolutely. the call for justice. Absolutely. At the same time, continuing to give people what they don't deserve. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a- absolutely. And and that's great. And I, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that that up. There is um, a book called Prophetic Lament by Sung Cha Ran. And um, it, he says the American church centers around a theology of celebration and not a theology of suffering. Mm-hmm. And the the problem is is that um, there there needs to be balance there. Mm-hmm. And I think the the white American church, because of history, has largely celebrated um the the history that they want to remember mm-hmm. and not the history that uh, is actually harmful and has been really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And that's led to celebration. Whereas the, the black church um, is is kind of centered around, Yes, there's celebration, but also there's been a lot of suffering Mm -hmm. and there's been a lot of deliverance and there's a lot more deliverance that needs to happen, which has informed the theology Mm -hmm. around lament Mm -hmm. and around what it looks like to really not bifurcate Mm -hmm. The gospel, which happens so many times in in our churches, it's either social justice or, or it's either, you know, evangelism over here or Mm -hmm. good biblical teaching over here. When really, when you read the Bible, you see that God is a God of justice and evangelism and he cares for culture. He cares for people. The Bible is one book together in it's full. It it is, it is whole. It's not bifurcated and it's not broken down into these little pieces. So we have to stop reading it as such. And we do as and allow those
2: tensions. Yes. And
1: allow the tensions and not just try to resolve some of that because Jesus actually doesn't seek to resolve a lot of those tensions that he brings up in scriptures he often leaves the conversation with a question yeah. and you're like oh okay where do i where do i go from there that makes me feel uncomfortable but but with that i think it's super important for christians to not just depend on their pastors on sunday to deliver to them the word, but to be Bible literate mm-hmm. and to study the text and actually see what Jesus says about these things, because he addresses racism and sexism and all of these things in the text. He addresses yeah. how to bring forth justice.
2: I mean, the Good Samaritan is a pretty yes. when he's asked, who, yeah. is, "Who is our neighbor?" Who is our neighbor? <laughs> <That's> the, right? We <laughs> kind of can't avoid
3: yeah, that. He, yeah,
1: he addresses it head on, and and because we don't. Have any knowledge of this we tend to think that you know the social justice isn't isn't a part of, mm. of the narrative right and when we as as christians aren't reading our bibles the way that we should be or praying the way that we should be um if we say that evangelism is one of the things that we value we have to know the cultural context of the people that we seek to share the gospel with, yeah. Otherwise, we're not going to speak to how Jesus is speaking to them. Jesus entered into people's story. He didn't seek to create this false narrative for them and then bring them to Jesus. He meets them there. where they're at. He meets them where yeah. they're at. And he knows yeah. where they're at. Yeah. And he asks good questions. Yeah. Um, and people respond to that. Yeah. And a lot of my beef with evangelism so to speak, is because I think, you know, we tend to, we tend to try to evangelize people with a very white American church perspective, right? and it loses them. Yeah. It loses them.
2: I think it's one of the reasons I read so much literature is it's it's a way of entering into the narratives of people's lives. And when you Mm -hmm. understand stories and you understand, like, it's one of the great ways to get into a perspective Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily rely on. Television and media, which can often violate our ability
1: to—that's
2: right—have sanctified imagination. That's right. So I think that that's a you know reading like read the novels of James Baldwin, like yeah. read read Ellison, read Absolutely. like even if we don't agree with every perspective, it still gives you insight into where people are coming from. And, yeah. and I think that that is a yeah. that's a crucial piece. So how would you how would you define then um, what what is justice? When it comes to, when it comes to this issue, yeah. like what for you, because, you know, are you talking about, cause we're not policymakers. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're pastors. And mm-hmm. so, and that doesn't negate my responsibility yeah, as a yeah. citizen. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying don't be engaged. Uh, but I mean, I have done my best to stay as apolitical
3: yeah. <laughs> as
2: possible yeah. in the pulpit, which everything seems political these days, but, uh, Uh, but yeah, what, what does justice look like from, from a, just the view from the pew, like what does that look like when it comes to issues of race?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great question. Um, uh, Before I answer that question, I I do want to say like, it's, it's interesting reading through the gospels and just seeing how political Jesus was, (laughs) even, you know, not, not Republican Democrat political as we, Timothy of politics. But whenever Jesus made one of those statements of like the kingdom of God is life, or, you know, he's, he's being very political because he's coming up against these structures, like these democratic or Republican structures of of his day that says, actually, no, God's kingdom is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. And his kingdom is going to overthrow this little right. stuff that you're talking about, yeah. and so I just I just find that that fascinating that, we, that as believers we've got to be about the kingdom yeah. of God, right? Which actually overthrows yeah. these man-made kingdoms. That I think we're it's creating. what
2: Paul is dealing with in Ephesians Absolutely. when he says that there are principalities and powers. Because people Absolutely. actually ask me, I got several emails. Like, yeah. what do you you made a comment about um, systematic racism? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm I'm like at the most basic. And I realized those are complicated words and loaded words sure. i 'm like at the most yes. basic level, all I meant by that was racism is a particular sin that can be that can be the primary sin of an individual if that individual gets into a into a, a plate position yeah. of power or policy making that that sin then has an impact on that mm-hmm. and it can be generational it can be mm-hmm. and this is how systems become mm-hmm. and I'm like I don't know why anyone would be surprised by that. It's like mm-hmm. there, you know, this is this is why you have bad cops, yeah. bad pastors, yeah. <laughs> why you have bad teachers, yeah. bad lawyers, had some bad contractors. Yeah, uh, that yeah. sin is a real issue, and that's, that's a traits. unique view that that Christians hold. That the world, I think, it it's one of the problems that mm-hmm. uh, humanistic thought is that. If we get rid of these social issues, people will be essentially good. Absolutely, and and we're much more realistic than that uh, around that. But I agree that even the issue of like what's political and what's ethics—it's like it's hard to sort those realities Mm -hmm. out. And I think that we—that this once again we can't hide our our head in the sand
1: yeah absolutely we, we must engage yeah and to your your point about kind of defining justice which is like oh my gosh I, I need to craft a better definition of justice but in, in my heart of hearts right now and it's it's pretty simple um that justice to me looks like wholeness and restitution mm-hmm. for both the oppressed and the oppressor right yeah and I don't know how we can specifically line that out, but in an ideal world, that's what I want. Because I I actually believe, and maybe this is a bit controversial, but one of the things that I've been working through as I've been lamenting over this, just, just as a black woman and the racism that I've experienced in my life, I've actually been hurt for my wife brothers and sisters because I don't think that they've realized that racism has deeply affected them mm-hmm. and has prevented them from experiencing the fullness mm-hmm. of God's body mm-hmm. and so there is a, an oppression going back to the spiritual component of it mm-hmm. there there isn't a spiritual oppression that keeps the scales on our eyes that prevents us from seeing what's really going on in our hearts and just like you said of like you know we we went through the we went through we didn't actually go through the civil rights movement but our ancestors went through the civil rights movement and we saw laws were changed Mm -hmm. segregation ended um,
2: and yet every city voting. in America is segregated. Right. Yeah. And
1: yet every city in America is still segregated. Voting rights happened, and yet there's still voting restrictions mm-hmm. in, in some places. So laws shift and change, but yet we still have racism. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because racism at its very core is not just systematic, racism is a heart issue it is a heart issue Mm -hmm. it is a sin issue and if we're not addressing the sin issue particularly in the church as you said we have an advantage because we have Christ we know that it is a sin issue if we're not addressing it as such a sin issue then how are we ever going to eradicate racism we will not
2: and we we have a cultural norm too which is a a really fascinating book on how the brain works, uh, mm. Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Mm-hmm. One of the big thing is how biased we are in our thinking. Absolutely. That we that our minds convince us that we have complete answers to things that we don't even have a fraction of the information to. Yeah. Um,
3: yep. So
2: I, a, a lot of that, and you see that in uh, in relatives. Like when you get when you yes. have elderly relatives yeah. who you know lived through World War II. Yeah. Uh, they're they're you know they're not staying up with every shift in language, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. and we'll say it like my kids are way more sensitive to yeah. political correctness yeah. than, than I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, Oh, don't dad, don't say that. Did like, yeah. you say that? Yeah. Um, and so you have, you have those tensions, but I think that what we, what we really have are, We don't like to admit that there are biases Mm -hmm. that are driven by stereotypes, Mm -hmm. and there's because there's always truth in stereotypes. Like I grew, I always joke I grew up poor white trash. Well, poor white trash is a stereotype, Um, and there's and you know. Maybe it's not helpful for me to even utilize that if my own <laughs> <memory>. <laughs> My yes. mom gets offended. Uh, I'm like, I don't know what it qualifies that yeah. food stamps in a single wide trailer. Yeah. Um, but it also speaks to a, a lack of information. So, Absolutely. you know, people are fearful of what they don't understand, yeah. uh, or, uh, or they, or they're, you know, it, but as I said, ignorance is not innocence. It's Jesus's That's first not. prayer at the cross. Yeah. Father, forgive them, for they know not what yeah. they do. And so, I, I agree. I think listening, uh, and learning, and humility right yeah. now. And what Craig said to me, we don't. He's like, tell your, tell your white congregants yeah. that we're not asking than to fix anything. Right. Uh, America loves to fix everything fast, but right. we need to be in this conversation for yeah. the
1: long haul. Yeah. And it's it's never a quick fix. Right. It just it just really isn't. And and I think something that, that I would say to white pastors and and white friends is is that you know along with the ability to to listen and learn and acknowledge the history. Mm-hmm. You know, as James Baldwin says, I'm gonna butcher this quote, but it's something to the fact of you know his history is um, far more atrocious, but also beautiful than we can ever imagine, mm-hmm. and so it's it's acknowledging the atrocities yeah. um, and really putting that out there so you can work towards a better awareness. But as as we seek to learn, as as white pastors and white friends seek to listen and learn, don't get stuck in the listening and learning because it is possible to listen, learn, and both be responsive at the same time and not just kind of just, well, I'm listening and learning while everyone else is doing the work. And knowledge puffs up. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Love actually goes somewhere. Yes, (laughs) like move Move it forward. Yeah. Be, be with me in it. Work mm-hmm. with me in yeah. it. Work towards something. I mean, you're bringing it
2: back to a core conviction of of Hope, which is relationship, relationship, relationship. Yes, it's that, essential. Yeah. And one final thing I think is yeah. really important to address, and man, I just so appreciate your perspective, yeah. Ashley. It's really, really helpful, um, is I, I think that one of the concerns that I keep getting from mm-hmm. from. People, especially from an older generation, mm-hmm. are very concerned about the like, very, very. I mean, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a police officer right yeah, now. Sure. Especially, I especially think about about black men and women that are in the police yeah. force yeah. that are trying to actually make a difference, yeah. and yet, you know, the. I mean, right now, and one of the main chants that you hear at the protests is. Um, all cops are bastards. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what a troubling uh, thing. And so that really mm-hmm. creates that's a big sticking point for a lot of people who like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to go be a part of something where the emphasis doesn't seem to be about eradicating mm-hmm. racism. It seems sure. to be it seems to be an unbalanced rage against one particular group sure. in our nation, sure. uh, and not that there isn't uh, at times excessive force used that is that is driven by racism or what we saw with. Uh, what we saw with George Floyd yeah. is, is deeply, I mean, this. Is the, I, I loved what uh, Esau McCoy says, like what we need is to offer more discipleship to police officers in our church so that their hearts do not grow hardened toward people because they're constantly dealing with such intense brokenness when you're dealing with crime and criminals, Mm -hmm. uh, you can actually begin to see them as less than human. And so how do we have just mercy Mm -hmm. as Brian Stevenson calls it? But I I think I would love to hear from you as a black woman, like, like, are you, are you personally against the police force? And I can ask you that because I already asked you this question.
1: Yes. Yes, Um, and, and the answer is no. Yeah. Uh, the the answer is no, but I, I do want to acknowledge that there is a there isn't an, an unconscious bias that flows and we talked about mm-hmm. this already yeah, an sure. unconscious bias that flows through through our justice system mm-hmm. and through the the police system you know southern mm-hmm. southern police was founded upon this thing called slave patrols mm-hmm. and these white men were specifically put together to police black communities and to terrorize them and to mm-hmm. arrest them and, and to beat them mm-hmm. and so that that is an underlying narrative under police, right. um, but that's not to say that all police are bad or corrupt because we deal with a racist system. Mm-hmm. And so part of this movement, you know, there's a difference between the chance of defunding the police mm-hmm. and the chance of abolishing the police. Yeah, Abolishing the police is extreme. And that's something that I am not for. <laughs> well, it would, if we have
2: a right understanding of sin, what you're essentially yes. saying is you want, like the men who murdered mm-hmm. Ahmaud Arbery, and I think a murder is appropriate because that was a lynching, Absolutely. that
1: yeah. that's yeah.
2: what we're basically asking yeah. then, is that civil, yeah.
1: your average there civilian... There will be a rise of vigilant yes. vigilantes out here. Yeah, I'm yeah. like,
2: I, I, I don't yeah. want those... Those kinds of people yeah. doing the policing in my neighborhoods. Yeah. That's a
1: terrifying. Uh, yeah, that is a terrifying. And my
2: interaction plot. with with police. I mean, our police commissioner right now is. Uh, yeah. I just I've heard him. Just s- speak black yeah. man. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's awesome. Um, yeah. I, I actually, my heart is to try to get an interview with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, I think it would be great to hear his perspective. But yeah. but the desire to make real changes. So I think it's that kind of the idea of throwing the baby out with the bathroom. Like yeah. we just eradicate a system. Yeah. What we know I mean, Paul says we are to submit to the governing authorities that they are the, they are there to exercise justice. Absolutely. Uh, and he was speaking about yeah. a corrupt system of Rome when yeah. he said that. So yeah. yeah, yeah. And
1: and the the defunding the police narrative, which I actually think and, and this this is my personal opinion, I think that's something that we should explore. And that is not an and abol- abolishing of police right. that's not what the black it's a lives. moving
2: of funds to different yes, to it getting is a, police it, out of things that right. they and i saw that's a, varied as well yes
1: it's it's very different and so you know to to explore what it looks like you know a lot of our our funding as cities major cities goes particularly to to police and so exploring what it looks like to channel some of the funding that's going there into some of these communities towards education, Mm -hmm. toward um, building up housing structures. You know, Portland right now, we have a homeless crisis. We have a crisis. I live in the heart of the city. Yeah. Some of that money that that we're spending on policing could get moved towards using funding for homelessness or this, this houselessness crisis which is is a bigger issue and you're I mean, not
2: speaking out of a vacuum here you worked for portland rescue right, mission right right i worked so for portland a, rescue this mission this is a big part of your part yeah of
1: to to see yeah. to see people living on the streets and so when we think about defunding the police and and using some of those resources in in different ways you know it kind of opens up our our perspective mm-hmm. but to go to back to the narrative of are all cops bad no. I don't believe all cops are bad. I, I know police officers. Um, I have them as friends. I've, I've talked to them and I, none of them are bad. Yeah. I, th- I think it's, it's hard when we try to, again, because we live in extremes. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's easier for us to think of just all individuals are bad. With those stereotypes and our very valid experiences that we go through of how maybe we've been mistreated by police officers. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have. There's been abuse of power. But it's it's caused by, by the system. Yeah. And it's power, and the power is always
2: dangerous. I mean, yeah, it is great, I, especially I mean, when you
1: don't know how to steward it. It's yeah. why
2: when you see a pastor fall, it's so damaging because it's an abuse of power. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. that's a, well, that, I think that's helpful. It's really important. I had a retired police officer email me and he's just like, I just really, it's important to hear, you know, I would love for you to hear my perspective on this. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say like, man, I am not saying we should get rid of, I'm yeah. not against police officers. Yeah. I'm like... I have a healthy understanding of sin, uh, and you know, uh, but they are but they're there to protect citizens. Yeah, Uh, you know, and I think that there's you know, and we're right now in a time where we are given a continual feed of tension. I mean, I can't like they we're we're seeing footage of like of the extremes, and I would say that the majority of police officers. Want yeah. to do their job well, yeah. you know, and I think that this is a, this is a, a time in which, obviously, we need to have better conversations of how to address, and that's I, that's why I want yeah. to ask you that is addressing the central point. Let's not lose sight of the important conversation that's happening, which is how do we address racism in our nation yeah. as Christians. And how does the gospel bring transformation to that yeah, conversation?
1: Yeah, and I, I will say that, that today, you know, just as I've been reflecting on today is the five-year um, anniversary of when Dylan Roof, you know, went into um, Emmanuel A.M.E. Church mm-hmm. um, in South Carolina and he, and he killed nine African Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just watch, you know, how how police treated him. He, mm-hmm. he was arrested humanely yeah. he was taken into custody and then i kind of contrast that with george floyd right and how there was uh, four police officers on top of of his body one particularly with his knee on his neck for mm-hmm. eight minutes and 46 seconds right. suffocating him he had not killed anyone um i, I think about the extremes in that, and this is two different locations, but again, this highlights some of the the bias and the underlying racism that kind of influences um, police thinking and, and, and police thought that we kind of need to work towards. Mm-hmm. Because you would not have thought that that would that would be how things shape out for mm-hmm. a Dylan Roof. Or a George Ford. Right. One man killed nine people. Yeah. The other man killed no one and lost his life. Mm-hmm. So it's just—it's very interesting as I process, and it just kind of shows there is there is an insidious line of racism flowing through the veins of our country mm-hmm. that we really need to work to dismantle and we really need to work to becoming anti-racist, mm-hmm. um, which is speaking out against racism, engaging with the culture, engaging with these issues so that we can speak against racism, being anti-racist, which will really help us dismantle systemic injustice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah.
2: Well, actually, I was wondering. Uh, I, 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 just as we've been talking, yeah. uh, I wasn't sure if this was gonna be, you know, a, a just a, a, a secondary podcast. I think this is such an important conversation, and yeah. I may just may just utilize this as, as like a primary message. And so yeah. that'd be really cool if, he, if you would just close this in prayer. Oh and yeah, I think we should have you back to, to, to preach sometime. Awesome, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll, be, I'll be willing, I'll be willing.
1: Yeah, let, let me pray for us. All right, hey, thank you. Thank you. Father, I just, um, we thank you, Lord, so much. We thank you for your kindness and your grace and your mercy to us, Lord. We thank you that you are committed to us. We thank you that you've forgiven us, Lord, that you um, no longer hold our sins against us, Lord. We thank you that we are not enslaved to our sin, Lord. And and I just, I thank you for Josh. I thank you for Door of Hope, Lord. I just, I pray that you would continue to um, just bless. Uh, this congregation and this church, Lord, that they would see fruit coming forth, Lord, in this location as a church, Lord. Um, I pray that you would continue to connect them um, in ways that they haven't experienced connection in and throughout the city, Lord. I do um, just pray, Father, that you would, with all of us, Lord, that you would just make us aware of the ways that we have perpetuated hate or perpetuated racism. Lord, that you would reveal to us our, our bias, Father, so that we can lay those at your feet mm-hmm. and begin the hard work of pruning and purging ourselves of those things so that we can better glorify you. Lord, I, I do pray, God, that you give us boldness, Lord, that we would not cower in fear, Lord, but that we would speak out courageously for the wrongs that we see. In our society, Lord. I pray that we would be good stewards of your text, of your word, God. And, and I just pray that you would give us a divine awareness of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We can do nothing without you, Lord. So we just ask, Lord, that you lead us and that you guide us, Father, and that we would be um, able to hear you and see you um, when you move and when you speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
2: Thank you so much, Yeah, actually. you're welcome.
1: Thank you. All right.
4: With no love of mine For I have none to give I love thee, Lord, but all the love is thine For by thy life I live And I am as nothing And rejoice to be Empty swallowed up in thee thou Lord alone art all thy children need and there is none beside from thee the streams of blessedness proceed in thee the blessed abide fountain Of life, all abounding grace, our source, center, and dwelling place, and fountain of life, all abounding grace, our source center and our dwelling place